I don't know about you, but I don't know about messy practices, but they really brought us into the presence of the Lord just now, didn't they? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. Father, through him, through faith, we have fellowship one with another as brothers and sisters. And Lord, we come together to honor and to worship you. Nothing bad. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, all that you're going to do. And Father, we, we come before you today and we ask, Father, Holy Spirit, just fall in this place on every man, woman, and child that we might re- receive um, the word that you have placed in your holy scriptures, but Father, that you've also placed in our hearts and our minds today. So Lord, we just thank you for, for what you're going to do, and we ask, Lord, that, uh, that you be glorified above all else. A name above all other names. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, we've been in the book of John for a little while now, and we are spent the last, what, three, going into four chapters in the upper room during the Passover, right? And Jesus is knowing that his time is about to come. And in, in chapter 13, he says that having loved those that were his in the world, he now shows them the full power of his love, right? And he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. He gave them an example of what that love looked like. And from chapter 13 on up to verse 15, from chapter 17, chapter 15, verse 17, it's, it's about love. It's about God's love, about heavenly love. But there's a abrupt 180 degree change from chapter 13 to 15 verse 17 to verse 18 and following because it goes from God's love to worldly hate it goes from the love of the father the love of the son to how the world will hate the believers hate the disciples right and last week, Nathaniel, he ended in, in the last four verses, four verses in, in chapter 16, it says this. It says, all the, the last, or I'm sorry, the first four verses in chapter 16. I'll get it right here in a minute. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Well, that's just a cheery little section of verses, isn't it? And you have to understand the context of time we're in right now. Jesus is still with them. They have dropped everything in their lives and they've come to follow him and and they've been with him for the last three years and he tells them in verse 13 or chapter 13 that he's going to go away and where he's going they can't follow and they're wondering about these things you know and then he tells them this he lays this on them that they'll be put out of the synagogues and people 
when they, anyone who kills you think he, will think he's offering a service to God. I'm doing God a service by killing you. Well, how would that make you feel, knowing that if you were one of his 11 disciples left, because remember Judas, the betrayer, had already left. And these 11 guys are sitting around, and they're at this Passover meal, and they've went through this from childhood, and there's a certain ritual and, and order that goes along with a Seder meal, right? And Jesus has broken all of that. He's broken all of that, saying, take this bread, for this is my body that's broken for you, right? And take this cup and drink it, for this is my blood poured out for the sins of many. That's never been in the script before. So if you're one of those 11 who are there, and you've put your, your face and your trust in the Lord Jesus, and he's telling you all these things, and he's going away. He told you in the beginning, come follow me. But now he's saying, you can't follow where I'm going now. So their minds are probably just, ugh. Because if being put out of the synagogue was not just little, some little thing to them. Being put out of the synagogue was like losing your life, your livelihood, and your family. Because that's what it was. Those Jewish people, that synagogue life was everything to them. Kind of like our life together here. You know, I love you guys more than you'll ever know. My life revolves around this place and with the love that you have shown me and I, I hope I can show you. It's important to me. It's one of the most important things in my life is being here with you. And if somebody told me that I had to leave you and I couldn't be with you any longer, that would devastate my heart. But you have to understand, not only was it leaving a body of believers, it was also having that body of believers leave you. If you were a merchant, they were almost forbidden to, to have any dealings with you at all. So your livelihood would suffer. Your, your faith would suffer. Your family would suffer. And then he tells them, if anyone kills you, they think they're doing a favor to God. Wait a minute. Never heard this in the script before. So they're obviously very, very concerned, very, very saddened. I mean, when Jesus told them back in chapter 13 that he was going to be leaving them and where they, he was going, they couldn't follow. And then he gave them this little verse, a new command I give unto you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, and I feel like that just kind of went right over their heads because the next verse, it talks about Peter asking him, Lord, where are you going? And why can't I come with you? And then Thomas, right? How can we know the way to where you're going if you don't show us? And then Peter, who Philip it was, Philip says, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us, right? <laughs> they have no understanding of what Jesus was trying to tell them and how this was a fulfillment of the, of the prophecies of old. So all this has been laid on them all this same night. That's a lot of information to take in, and it's a lot of information that probably just, just took the breath right out of them, right? It would have me. 
They don't know. See, they're, they don't have the advantages of 20th, 20 centuries for, for knowledge or, or after knowledge, rather, or, or, or the, even the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, right? They're still just followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit hadn't come because Jesus has not been crucified. He hasn't died, and he hasn't rose again, and he hasn't went to the Father. But look what it says in verse 5. That's where we're going to begin at. And I'm just going to read the, first, uh, ten, the next few, few verses here. It says, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your, well, your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, and in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's just stop there for right now. You know, it's a... It's really hard if you were in that situation with those 11 in the upper room with Jesus to comprehend this. And he says, I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me where I'm going. Well, in my mind, when he asked, or when he told them that he was going away and they couldn't follow him and they had all these questions and Jesus was trying to understand or let them understand that, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that probably weighed in a little bit. Because he was talking about going to the cross. He was talking about dying. He said that Peter would follow him later. And Peter did actually follow him later. And was crucified. But now he's going to him who sent him. The heavenly father. But yet none of you asked me where, he, where I'm going. And because I've said these things you're filled with grief. Well wouldn't you? I mean you're. You just got told that they're going to kick you out of the synagogues and they're going to kill you and those who kill you are going to think they're doing a favor to God. That would make me feel a little anxious too. I don't know about you. Because you have to understand still, see, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And he says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away... The counselor will not come to you. You see, and what Jesus is trying to prepare them for is while Jesus was with them, all the persecution, all the hatred, all the, the conniving and scheming of the religious leaders was all on Jesus. He took all the brunt of all that, even unto death on a cross, right? But once Jesus dies on that cross, is buried, is raised again, and goes to the Father, and those disciples who get filled with the Holy Spirit and they start proclaiming the good news to those who would listen, that persecution, all those things that Jesus told them was going to happen, now the attention's on them. They've got the bullseye on their backs, right? So he says, unless I go away, the counselor can't come. And But when he does come, he's going to 
to uh, strengthen you, and he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three things, right? He's going to convict the, the world of sin. I think in the, I was reading in another uh, translation, uh, the ESRV, I think it was, the English Standard Revised Version, it said that he would, he would, how was it he put it? Prove the world wrong about sin, about uh, righteousness, and about about judgment these are all kind of like legal terms like you would hear in a courtroom conviction right convict the world of sin of, of, of guilt of sin and what that means is because there were so many people who heard the message of jesus and who who did not believe in him you know uh, nathaniel last week was talking about you know sin and that is the greatest sin that anybody can have is unbelief. And they don't accept Jesus as, as God's own son. Back when I was uh, doing ministry in the jails, we had, used to use a lot of acronym in, in Celebrate Recovery. You know, you had uh, an acronym. You have a word, and you would take each letter of that word, and, and you would have another meaning for it. Sin. Sin. S stands for selfishness, Right? I stands for idolatry, and N stands for non-belief. And those are the three things that, that, that sin actually is, if you want to wrap it up in a nutshell. But the greatest of these is not believing in the one that God sent his own son. You know, he, if you don't believe in John 3, 16, what else is there? Because, you know, this world out there, it wants to believe in everything but Jesus. Right now in this world, truth is relative, right? Whatever I feel is true is truth. But when we come and we reveal the truth of God and of righteousness and of judgment to them, they say it's hate because they hate truth. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life convicts the holy spirit convicts the world of guilt of sin you know and then it says that it's it, it says it's of sin because he did they do not believe in me you know and, and if we look back at the life of, of saul remember saul he was a great persecutor of people who were believers of, of the of the, the original disciples disciples and he went out killing them and if we look in acts chapter 7 we see that in Acts chapter 7, he was actually there and gave his, he held the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was beginning to preach. And because of that, they, the, those who were opposed to the people of the way, Christians, uh, they, 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 they stoned Stephen, and they killed him. They believed that Jesus was a blasphemer because he claimed to be God's equal or God's son. That's why they actually killed him. And they were proved wrong when Jesus has shown to be God's son. Born of a virgin. But he was God's son. He was God man, but he was also God. Right? And they didn't believe that. So that's why they killed the guy. 
But just like that Roman soldier that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus gave up his spirit. What was he? I don't know exactly the words that he said, but it was something along the lines. Surely this was the Son of God. See, he was had that revealed to him as he watched everything occur that day. He convicts us of guilt because we like to have our own way. We want to live our own life the way we want to live it. We want to do things in our own will. But Jesus taught us to pray that not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's proved right, and the world has proved wrong about his identity. He's proved right, and the world has proved wrong on righteousness because the world thinks that all is required is we live good lives and we be nice to people. How many times have you heard it on somebody's at somebody's funeral? Well, he sure was a good man. Well, I'm thinking that probably hell's going to be full of good men because they did not put their trust and their belief in the Lord Jesus and claim him as their savior. Proved wrong about righteousness because this world's righteousness is whatever goes. Whatever feels good, right? Back in our day, I think, Rusty, if it feels good, do it. And now, in this day and age, we have to go along with other people's mindset on what they are and who they are. and They can be a puppy dog and we got to believe it. Right? And it goes strictly against what God made them to be. So they're saying to God that I know better than you, God. You made a mistake. Well, I'm here to tell you that God didn't make mistakes. He never has. But we make a lot of mistakes, don't we? The Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong when it comes to righteousness. And lastly, says the world will be proved wrong in judgment. Because why? It says because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He now stands condemned. See, when Jesus died on that cross and when he was buried and he was in the, gra in the grave for three days, he just wasn't sitting there idle, was he? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 are some verses that mean a lot to me because I used to live my life with a lot of fear because I lost a lot of people in my younger years. I watched my friends die. And I couldn't, I couldn't make friends very easily because I was afraid that they would die too. And it was harder for me to bear the losing of them than it was to make new friends. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, after my son died, and I had to, to live through that, I found this verse, and it says that since he, meaning Jesus, since the children of, uh, well, let me put it right, I haven't even, I've got it memorized, but my mind's about mush. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you'd give me clarity of mind right now. Satan's coming, and he's attacking me right now, Father, but I know your word, and I know it because it's indelibly in etched in my heart. Lord, 
please help me. Since the children are flesh and blood, he too became humanity. So by his death, meaning Jesus, that he might destroy him who has power over death, meaning Satan, and thus free those who have all their lives been held bondage by their fear of death. Jesus defeated Satan. He took the keys of death from him, and he, he vanquished and he conquered the grave. Let me ask you something. If that doesn't strike you right in the center of your chest and embolden you to do things, I don't know what will. Because if the one that you put your trust in can't even be killed and the grave won't hold him, what stops us from doing things, as Jesus said, that we would do greater things than these will you do? You know, Jesus' ministry on earth was kind of limited geographically to the area that he lived in. And, and the, you know, he didn't have cars, planes, trains, and automobiles, right? He, he just was on foot, and he only got to go places where it was physically possible for them. They didn't stray too far out of, of, of the region of, of Judea and Samaria. So his message was just basically limited. But when he went away, he said it would be to our benefit. And it is to our benefit because now, God, when Jesus was on the earth, he was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the Holy Spirit has come upon us and he is in us. Greater is he that is in the world, than, or in us, than is he that is in the world. So what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? He empowers us with new knowledge to understand scriptures we couldn't understand before. He empowers us to boldly go and speak the truth about Jesus where we wouldn't otherwise. And it's not just for me or Rusty or Sean, Nathaniel or Jeff. It's for every one of us. See, we get so caught up in, in the Holy Spirit because we, there's so many teachings on the Holy Spirit, right? We got the fruits of the Spirit. We got the gifts of the Spirit. But this is the work of the Spirit. You want to know if somebody's Spirit-filled? Look at the fruit. Are they teaching people about Jesus, about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment? That they might be sin saved and not condemned? That they might point to Jesus? Because that's the work. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended in heavens in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that power will, you will receive power, and then you will become my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Are we living like we got power in us today? Or are we scared because we might offend somebody about talking to them about Jesus, about love, about sin? You know, that Saul that was persecuting Christians and then he had an encounter on the road with Jesus himself, right? And that Holy Spirit in him transformed him. And he wrote in the, in the book of Romans, 
about these things, about being proved wrong about sin. And it, he goes on, it says that, that uh, he says, and he's talking to the Romans, but he's, he's a Jew, and he says, therefore, in verse 20, I think it's 26, it says, therefore, no one will be, be declared righteous in his sight by observing law rather than the law, because of the law, they'll be, become conscious of sin. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction on us. And we don't like conviction. We don't like to be told what's wrong with us and what we're doing is wrong. But sometimes it will be life-saving and life-changing for us. So many times I've read in the scriptures and it just kind of, kind of twists the knife in me a little bit and it hurts my heart because I see that there's still some disobedience in my life. I don't forgive as easily as I should. I don't, I'm kind of one that's got a good memory when somebody hurts me, you know, and I need to let that go. I need to lay things down and to love the way Jesus does unconditionally. So when I read verses about forgiveness and forgetfulness, sometimes that just twists me a little bit in here because I know I'm not where I need to be, but I want to be. I want to be. That's the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It brings conviction, but it also leads us to righteousness, doesn't it? It makes us better people because and better uh, followers of Jesus because we start to emulate his life because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And Paul writes these things and he tells us that the law was there to make us conscious of sin. Conviction is there to make us conscious of sin. But so many people get con conviction confused with condemnation. See, conviction brings about change. There's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity to change our lifestyles, our thinking, the way that we do things. Condemnation means you're, you're done. You're found guilty and now you're waiting judgment and you're waiting sentence. But conviction always leads a way out. And that way out is always the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So these things he said not to discourage us, but to show us what was going to be coming. And then in verse 12 he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. There it is, that spirit of truth. You know, that spirit of truth, that, that spirit of truth that comes on us is something that we need to be paying the very close attention to because there's a lot of spirits out there that will tell you things, but that's not the spirit of truth. You know, John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, talks about testing spirits. I got it here somewhere. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So we test the spirits and the spirit of truth, that one who testifies that Jesus came from God. He is God's son. Jesus was sent by God to the world that the world might be saved through him. Jesus always did what the Father required. Jesus' main goal was to be, bring glory to the Father. Now Jesus has gone and he's brought in the Holy Spirit to us that he went from God with us to God in us. And that Holy Spirit does one thing and that's how you can test the Spirit any spirit that does not glorify Jesus Christ as the Son of God is an evil spirit and gives glory to the Jesus. That's how we know. And that spirit of truth will set us free. He goes on to say in verse 14, He will bring glory to me, I lost my place, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will take from me what is mine and make it known to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is very important because He will tell us, and in, I don't know how many times in my life, I'll be driving down the road and not really thinking about much of nothing, just kind of going through zombie land, and all of a sudden, pop, a scripture verse or a Bible story jumps into my mind. Okay, all right, Lord, I, I, I'm awake and I'm, I'm here. Your servant's listening. What do I need to do? And then there will be some revelation, some, some encounter I'll have with an individual or, or a, a circumstance will come in my way. And that verse that the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind was relevant for that situation. Before I even knew why it was there, it was there. And don't ask me how I know, but I just thank God that he does those things. Because in my own feeble mind and strength, I probably wouldn't have the, the wherewithal to be able to, to, to respond in script, with Scripture to them. But the Holy Spirit already knows. Just like Jesus is telling these disciples everything that's going to happen in advance. Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who He indwells. The work of the Holy Spirit, without it, We're just a bunch of folks sitting here on a Sunday morning with the Holy Spirit. We're destined to be world changers. Each and every one of you who has called on the name of Jesus and bowed your head, bend your knee, and ask Him to come in your heart, He indwells in you, and He's given you power that you don't even realize that you have the power to bring transformation into someone's life, to walk with them, to show them Jesus. And it might be as simply as simple as just befriending them, offering them a, a cup of coffee, to speak the name of Jesus into them. That's one of my favorite tactics. I love doing that. If I'm going to Casey's and I'm getting me a soda drink or something and somebody's behind me with a soda drink or a, or a, a, a cup of coffee and I'll just buy it. And they said, well, you didn't have to do that. And I said, I know. I know I didn't. 
I said, but somebody did something for me that they didn't have to do it either. His name was Jesus, and he died for me. He paid a debt that he did not owe for me. So I just want you to know that he loves you today, that you're, you're important to him, as we all are. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about conviction and prove the world wrong about Jesus, his birthright, his life, his death, his resurrection. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about guilt in the way that we live and what righteousness really looks like. And then to prove the world wrong about judgment. You know, I even had a lady who was a pastor one time of a church made this statement. Well, I don't think a loving God would ever send anybody to hell. Oh, really? Or she, one time she said, I don't think God will ever get, ever gets mad at us. Well, that doesn't, according to my book, my scriptures, that shows that he has. His anger wouldn't last forever, but he's, he's angry. But I guess in one way she is right, because it's not God who sends us to hell, but it's us who choose hell over being with God in heaven. Amen? But how will they know if we don't tell them? See, we want to be so politically correct and, and not hurt anybody's feelings that we now are afraid to speak truth to those who need it the most. But the work of the Holy Spirit in us should be evident that people would know to whom we belong and what we believe by the way that we live. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you today and as we prepare for our communion service, Lord, I pray that, the, that we would indelibly etch this, this, this passage of scriptures into our hearts that even though Jesus told us that there was going to be persecution coming and that he had to go away, but if he went away, it would be beneficial for us because the Holy Spirit would come and he would, he would empower us and we would be the ones who would send the, the good news message out to the world because he now lives in us and he would prove the world wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. So, Lord, I just pray that if we would, as we ought, Father, become intentional and missional on showing the world that Jesus is Lord, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He died for them, and he rose again, and he sits at the right hand of Father, and he's waiting to return to judge the world. So, Lord, I pray that that we would get a fire in our hearts and in our bellies that we need to go speak to those who are perishing without even knowing it. That we would become your hands and feet, Jesus, in this world. That they might know truth and that truth would set them free. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. As we prepare for communion, the body that you broke, that was broken for us, blood that you shed for the forgiveness of our sins father we we examine ourselves and we lay it down at the altar everything that we know 
that the Holy Spirit's revealed in us that we know is not of you. And then we come and we partake in Holy Communion with you. So, Father, we're so thankful that you loved us enough to send him to the cross. So, Father, the grave couldn't hold him, and now he stands at your, at your right side, and he intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. So, Lord, we ask that he would be glorified in us, and, Father, that we would leave this place, and we would take this gospel good news to the world, that they might believe and be saved. We do it all in your name, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. Amen.